Good morning, Sarah Hefla. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Hey, do you know of anyone else that podcasts in the morning? I think we might be the only podcasters in the world. We Maybe we probably some- win the award for earliest podcast. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, so 6.30 a.m. Yeah. my time? No, 5.30. 5.30 is better. <laughs> <laughs> we actually are not. It's not a crack of death right now. It's 9.20 a.m. in New York City. It is Wednesday. I believe it's the 3rd of August, and something really amazing is happening tonight, premiering tonight. Do you know what it is, Sarah Hepla? Oh, my gosh. Um, no. <laughs> Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, I, I yeah. Th- well, I was excited because something exciting is happening, but then my mind drew a blank. I had no idea what it was. I didn't, it even, is, I didn't even have a guess. It is the premiere of season two of the Hulu FX TV series, uh, Reservation Dots. Oh, yes. I just saw a good write-up about this. I okay. think it was in the so, yeah, at the New York probably and the New York Times. So uh, for people, regular listeners of this podcast know, I've said this many times, my daughter uh, is a set decorator on this program. Um, it is filmed in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, which is where her family's from. Her dad and all her people are Full Blood Creek or Muskogee, same um, tribe. So she's half and she was back there working. She did not get the job. Because of that, it was sort of a weird confluence. One of the creators um, of the show, Sterling Harjo, his mother was prom queen to my daughter's dad's prom king when they were back at uh, Indian boarding school back in the 70s. The show, um, again, as someone who's been around uh, Native peoples for 35 years and has not seen it, often Native life depicted in the way it is, you know, it's always like sort of the the noble savages or the savages or they're just invisible people. This show is a bleeding miracle. It is funny. It is profound. It is very moving. It is ridiculous. It makes so much fun of itself because it, there's just teasing is so much ingrained in the fabric of the world. And I love it so much. It's a super, super hit. Um, also, what's the other guy, the Watiki? What is his name? The guy that did, um, he just did uh, Love yeah, and Thunder. Yeah, Watiki. Right. So he's the other creator of it. I mean, these guys are just on fire. Um, and um, so when it premiered, I mean, gosh, the critics were just like, wow, this is so interesting. It's so really great. They are, they literally do not know, they don't have the superlatives to use to apply because it's 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 premiering tonight. So you've seen some of the reviews the past couple of days. Uh, we'll put a link to one um, that I read in the Times. They don't even know how to, 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 to say it except to just say, it, this is miraculous. I am so excited to see it. And, and I will, I will give something away. No, I haven't seen it obviously, but, um, my daughter who's again, sorry, listeners, if you've heard this already, her, her grandpa was the big chief in what flew over the cuckoo's nest. And, um, so Sterling, you know, he's like, with my daughter, Tommy, he's like, come here, sis, we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, listen, uh, we're doing this episode where, you know, one of the characters is in a, in a girl's jail and we want you to like, we're going to dress you in, you know, prison orange or whatever and have you out there shooting a basketball, kind of an homage to your grandpa. Cool, cool. That'll be great. Oh, but what happened? What happened in that particular scene? The gal that was supposed to come in and play this big role of this sort of like spirit that comes down and talks to, I don't know, one woman or more than one woman who's imprisoned, she got covid so Sterling looks at Tavi, he's like, your tap, sis. And my daughter plays the role. It was Ooh. speaking. My daughter hates to be on camera, but it was apparently just like all 
man, it just worked. So I think that's the penultimate episode uh, in season two. Anyway, I am going to be watching tonight. Um, this will probably drop tomorrow, this episode. So uh, please go and watch it, guys. I think you will, I think it's going to be enriching and interesting and moving in ways that, um, I mean, for everyone. It's just a wonderful, wonderful show. So thanks for letting me hammer on about it here, Sarah. Oh, you're it. welcome. What's next? Well, what's next is that I was thinking about the sort of miraculous goodness of this show um, when we were watching a different um, short miniseries that you told me about just a couple of days ago, and it's only three episodes. So I managed to watch it all since then, including uh, the, the the final episode on one and a half speed in the bathtub just now so that we could uh so we could talk about it properly so i'm gonna let you um I'm let you intro this show sure so this was a a series called the most hated man on the internet it's on netflix and it's about a character named hunter moore um the title comes from a rolling stone article that was written about him and he's a guy that created a revenge porn site called Is Anyone Up? And this site was, I, I guess, had you ever heard of it before? Nope. Nope. No, nope. I hadn't either. Um, but I had heard of revenge porn. And I was aware of this era in the aughts when that stuff was getting, you know, weaponized online. And I was really curious about that time, which felt to me like it was sort of like, uh, a little bit of a Wild West moment where technology had sort of outpaced legality, you know? And so we had a lot of things like these photos that were going online and you couldn't do anything about them. And I remember this time. Um, so it was very curious to see um, what this what this story was about, you know? So, so this is a guy that... Um, uh, he, <laughs> the you know, the title is something that uh, I don't know if he was ever the most hated man on the Internet, but it is very, very hard to get behind this person. Um, he is I think somebody describes him as one of these people that, you know, creates a blueprint for how to be a sociopath online and get paid for it. Um, he creates a site called Is Anyone Up? And it is presumably uh, put together by user submissions. And these are photos of women um, that are... And some men. Some oh, men. Yeah, some men. Like there's a guy who took a picture of his junk and then he suddenly finds that picture online and we hear from him. Um, and it it starts getting some some buzz, um, but then it goes a little bit more viral. And it's 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 um, the story follows um, a young woman that discovers her photo online uh, she's topless and well, we actually don't know. No, I think they do say there was one, uh, one or two where she's clothed. And then there was a few that she had taken of herself in her bathroom or bedroom of herself. Uh, and I don't remember her first name, but her mother's Kayla. name is Her name is Kayla. Kayla. Her mother's name is Charlotte Laws, who is really one of the main um, characters in this in this series. She took this picture of herself, which, you know, I don't know, like you might want to take a picture of your boobs, which is okay. You're allowed to do that. It's your phone. And um, what she did was 
I, and apparently this is true. She um, was running out of space on her phone and I guess she wanted to keep the pictures. So she emailed them to herself um, and never did send them to, to anyone else. Now, of course, many, Sarah will continue in talking about the show, but many of the pictures um, that are on this site, is anyone up, um, are, have been submitted by people themselves. Uh, some have been cons- sent on as revenge porn, like, oh, or, or maybe not even revenge porn. I mean, certainly it could be, this is 2012, by the way, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be like, well, this was my girlfriend and now I'm pissed at her, so I'm going to put her boobs, uh, you know, that they can be online. But it could also be, I'm sure some of the case was like, ooh, baby, you look so hot. I'm going to, I'm going to send this. I'm going to look, look how hot my girlfriend is. Sure. I'm going to send this picture. So there was a variety of 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 sexy photos uh, on this site, some of which were authorized by the user, and many of which were not. And then, as it turns out, there was there was hacking. I'm going to let you um you 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 I'm going to let you take it from there. Sure. So, I mean, when you first hear the the story about Kayla, who said that she didn't send it to anyone, I I don't know where your mind went, but I was sort of like, are really? Yeah, it, you do. Your mind does go there. It's like, you because you don't want to be found out. It's like, yeah, I sent this to me. I sent it to my boyfriend, but you don't want to admit it. But as it turned out, I think she really didn't. As it turned out, she really <laughs> didn't. And, and a number of these women had not sent the, the photos necessarily. Or, um, you know, basically the photos were obtained by hacking. And yeah. over... clever, too. I mean, I don't know if it's clever. It's probably super common the way the guy did it, but... It, so the way he did it is, but how did, how was the genesis of where he just like, here's what I don't understand. It was the, uh, what was that guy's name? Charlie Evans, Charlie Evans, mm-hmm. which turned out to be the guy that was sort of collaborating um, with uh, more. He, he, it's like, okay, I'm going to give an example. I send Sarah Heppel a text that says, Sarah, oh my God, I'm locked out of Twitter and I lost my phone. Can I, can I have them send you like a password uh, reset to your phone and then you g- give it to me. And she goes, sure. So I do that. And as soon as, as soon as she does that, she gets a message from Twitter saying your password has been reset. And then she emails me and says, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Well, it's been a hacker. It wasn't me, uh, telling her to do that. So apparently, but what I don't understand is how did Charlie Evans pick this person? To how do they with? pick the women? That's yeah, the like, part we never actually hear. I mean, is this just like a randomized, you know, like you're you're floating because they're doing it through Facebook. So you're just like looking around Facebook and Twitter and looking for people. It, it seemed totally. Ra- well, you could, though. Think about it like this guy, you know, you just like you're trolling Facebook. People do this, right? Maybe you look at the hundred women that you think are cute. You send it to a hundred of these women's. I guess it's their their. Facebook contact or email or however the contact was, and maybe, you know, 20 20 of them uh, respond, and then you're able to look into their, you can see their emails. That's the thing. Now you can look in their email and you look for attachments. So maybe like two out of 100 uh, gives pay dirt. I mean, this is somebody that obviously has has a lot of time, right, Right. to go through this. And then he started working with, uh, with, with more. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the way they end up catching this guy is that um, is through this hacking scheme. And so the right. story unfolds the way that, I mean, eventually Anonymous gets involved. Which is amazing. 
Yeah. It's, it, I got to say, I'm going to back up just here one yeah. second because there's three episodes and um, we do get to, to Anonymous at the last one. I have to say, I was like in the bathtub going, yeah, co-anonymous. Not exactly like people I'd normally be cheering, but in this, uh, and Anonymous are the guys that wear those, um, what's the mask? Guy, is it called Guy, Guy Fox? Guy Fox. Yeah. Guy Fox masks. Um, But man, they're pretty, they're freaking powerful. We don't want to get on the bad side of Anonymous, Sarah. I'm going to send them some cookies. Um, but um, uh, really, the bulk of the show is made up um, to show when Hunter Moore is like literally the king of the world. Yeah. Okay. He's a he's like, you know, it's funny. He's kind of like a slightly doughy white dude who's, you know, covered himself in tattoos. He's got kind of like a like it's supposed to look just like naturally messy brown hair, but you can tell he spends a lot of time like making sure what it looks like. And he is literally acting like the king of the world. He's the biggest fucking dick. His tweets say things like, fuck bitches, get money, do blow. Um, and there's tons and tons and tons of footage of him like parting down, grabbing girls' titties. And then like people are are reporting on the fact that like girls are doing blow off of his cock and he's drinking vodka out of their pussies. And I'm using the language that they used, kids. So just, you know, bear with me. That's what writers do. We try to like get you in the scene there, right? So he is such a prick. And when Charlotte Laws, who's the mother of Kayla, was that her mm-hmm. first name? Sorry. Um, she like, they find out that this is happening and he's, she's like, can you please take this down? She was hacked. And he's just like, oh yeah, whatever. LOL. LOL, right? So the the bulk of this show is basically he is he's on the ascent. Now, why is he on the ascent? Like, is it just the fact that someone's a fucking dick? So everybody's going to love him? Well, yes. For for some people that live online, some guy that looks like he's like this big dude that's getting all kinds of tail and you know, able to do whatever he wants and get away with it. This is attractive to some people, right? It's like, wow, this guy does what I only dream about. This guy is, is is badder than the baddest I ever can imagine being. But what else is happening here? People, as kind of in a way, as kind of sad as it is, they find identity. I mean, girls like to look cute. They want to be wanted. And it's like, wow, you know what? I can have my pretty 19-year-old titties up here and I'm going to get a thousand likes and somehow this is going to make me feel good. I mean, I I understand that. I might do it not with my boobs, but with a tweet. And you, right. you kind of, and then you also like, let's say us as writers, we're on, you know, we're on Twitter or we've got our community here on Smoke. I'm like, you start having conversations and you, you feel good. Well, this is a different kind of, I would say, quite evanescent sort of community. Evanescent? That what was that word? Evanescent? E- like fleeting? Fleeting? Shiny well, fleeting? Evanescent. Oh, right. Evanescent. Okay. okay. I hang around Matt Welch too much in his mispronunciations. Uh, is it Evanescent? That's a yeah. Um, In any case, this stuff can turn on you in one, I mean, in less than a second, in a nanosecond. Like, you're the girl that everybody is now like, agi- well, think about it. If everybody doesn't know anything about you and you are there and getting like, accolades for your boobs if you for some reason come out and say i oh you know what i'm really this also this person oh we don't give a shit whore fuck you fuck you you're a slut fuck i mean these girls came in for the most the most disgusting hate and of course it's just from anonymous people that are just small-minded assholes as far as i'm concerned okay like i i can't even understand how people act this way 
And then you had people, um, it just made me so sad, um, like Butthole Girl. Right. Butthole Girl is one of the most poignant stories um, in this whole thing because uh, she is somebody that uh, has, you know, she's a, she's a, a young single mother who, she's like 19 or something. Yeah, she's 19 years old and she's living at home and she's doing webcam work to make extra money. And she finds out about this site and she decides like, oh, this would be um, a good way to get users to my... Well, her friend, remember, it's her friend that says, oh, you should put something up your butt. That would right. Well, she's trying to get herself on this side, and then and then one of her friends decides, you know, like, oh, hey, it'd be funny if you put something in your butt, and then we'll send it in. And so she—I don't remember what it was. Like a, it's like a, it's some sort of bottle. Yeah, it's a, it's like a lotion bottle yeah. or something. I mean, something you know you don't really yeah. usually put in your butt. So and then uh, you know that gets on the site, and then she becomes this sort of fixture, and she's moving towards this attention. Um, you know, at the same time that there's this sort of, you know, like manipulation of her to be doing more stuff like, like Hunter is, is live streaming with her and yeah, but, oh, she, see the, the problem is here for butthole girl, which made me just unbelievably sad. She also lost her kids. Like she had these two yeah. little boys and the fathers are like, you know, maybe not the best environment. You know, you're doing webcam work at your parents' house or wherever she's doing it. With two little boys, and I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to put a value judgment on working as a cam girl. I've written about cam girls actually early on, like many many years ago. But you know, I, I could I could see the father's point, you know, because the attend it's, it's thousands and thousands of people saying butthole girl, butthole girl. In any case, this was very devastating to her. But at the same time, she's receiving what feels like a sort of love, right? right? You're, you're feeling you're you're getting some sort of communal love here. So there's attention guess, and value, even if it's also trying to make money, which she was not making. She later said she did not make five cents off of is anyone up though he did he did offer to send her a t-shirt um but he calls her at one point he's like hey do you want to uh skype you want to skype with me hey man this is like the dude right he's like the head dude that is the god of the is anyone up and she says yes and like there's pictures of it and he's like put something else on what's it going to be what's what are you going to put up your butt and put your fist up your butt and like you can see that she's i mean she's already lost her kids at this point at least the way they cut it together i who knows if they manipulated the timeline. Um, and she's kind of laughing and like she's on the floor of her she's bathroom. She's drunk. And, yeah, and she's drunk because she's also drinking now because this she's, is her life. She's drinking very heavily, yeah. And the thing is, though, so gratefully, I mean, gratefully from my point of view, I'm sure people wanted to see, you don't actually see her do it. You're looking at her from the front. So we're, if, if, if there was a shot of her putting her fist up her butt, we don't see it. And I personally am glad for that. But then she says afterwards, she's like, well, I had no idea that, you know, that Hunter was actually filming this. And it's like, oh, come on, come right. on. This is, this is, this is the, this is, this is the only currency in this world. There's only one currency. And that is that it is being filmed, that it is being streamed or shown online there. He, he would have no in air quotes, empire without it. So there's also a bit of willful delusion here. Yes, that's right. You know, and then the addiction to you, what you get that what feels like love. And it's not love. You know, this this docuseries took me back to the era of like, do you remember Tucker Max? I do not. He wrote a book called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. 
And it was a book uh, that later became a movie, but it was on the bestseller list for years. And he was sort of this, you know, fratty bad boy that would brag about all his conquests with women. And, you know, somehow this led to more women wanting to line up and and be with him. Um, This is also an era of like pickup artists. There was a show on VH1 about that at the time. This is around the time that I saw the rise of like 4chan and some of these subreddits. I remember going on one subreddit. I'm pretty sure it's been shut down now, but it was, you know, it was basically just like people posting pictures of random women and just uh hating on them just you know talking all these saying these horrible things about them and i just remember thinking like what how is this legal like there was there was just a lot of energy around this this kind of like <clears throat> trollish bad behavior toward women <clears throat> and i think when we when we think about how Me Too arose in the next few years and some of Uh its excesses, I think it's Uh important to remember this context, that it was growing out of this context. That's that's very astute, Sarah. Yes. Yes, well, where a lot of young women felt um, an, an, an unusual powerlessness over their image or things that they were putting online. I mean, look, you were caught in a double bind because this is what young people do. They share these photos. They, they go online They you know, you want to look sexy. And then when they get used against you, it's like, why did you do that? I, what's so interesting is, you know, we're, we, we had a comment, uh, one of our, our listeners, hello listeners, keep sending the comments. I love them. I actually was on the subway the other day and was able to like answer everybody while I was on the F train. It was, it was fun. But, um, someone said, oh, you know, I, we, I noticed in your last episode, you said, you know, you love men and we do love men. Um, and sometimes I'm some slightly bewildered by the sort of like, at least in some small corners of the world, this loud hatred of men, sort of an essay is called, we hate men. Like just, right. and I'm like, where does this come from? However, when you, when you, when you see that somehow there are certain, and we're assuming they're all men, I guess some of them could be women, that you just like, there's this almost like this tender throbbing boil and, and mm. right under it, like if you, just give it the weak little tap. It just, this absolute hatred and frustration with women. And and maybe it comes from like, women don't love me enough, or maybe it's just a personality disorder or something. Because frankly, the men I know are not like this. Like they are not, I mean, they're so far from this. And yet there is somehow a demographic that that cheered a hunter more in the way where they were like he is my god i mean and 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 what you're saying about you know fortune i never really went around on these on these things or these these reddits or subreddits but it is clear that there is a world where this is um they feel this um hatred to express it anonymously i don't think that they really do it I mean, is this something that you think 
has any sort of gr- public groundswell? I mean, will will huge swaths of the population, whether it's you know men or women or whatever, come out and publicly say these things without hiding behind um, without hiding behind their anonymity? What, what do you What do you mean? I mean, you the things that 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 Hunter Moore's uh, legions of fans were saying about women um, were so fucking horrible. Do these people say this like publicly? Do they go to work? Do they go to work at, you know, at at Target and go, you're all a bunch of fucking cunts and I want to kill you and slit your throats? I mean, does this exist in, does the internet, is it the internet that foments this hate or is it, is it um, that the hate exists and the internet just gives it a, 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 a platform for it or is it both? Is it just like feeding itself? Is it some kind of weird... This felt like an id collection machine. You know, this felt like like people were, um, you know, able to... to uh, Like I liked your... your your image of the the sort of boil, you know, that gets burst and you're able to give that expression. I mean, I was struck by something that Hunter Moore said early on. We never really heard more about it, but he said this whole thing started because I, it broke my, I, my heart was broken by a girl. And so is- it reminded me that Hugh Hefner's whole career, you know, get started because his heart was also broken. And, you know, early in his life, this is a story that gets told in a really amazing book called Thy Neighbor's Wife, written by Gabe Talese. And he tells the story about how Hugh Hefner was um, engaged. He was in love with this woman who eventually cheated on him and broke his heart. And one of the ways that he defends against that heartbreak is to create this massive empire where he can feel, you know, for better or worse, I have very, I have very conflicted feelings about Hugh Hefner, who I think gets like, I think he gets vilified in a lot of ways um, that I think he was a really interesting magazine pioneer with a lot of good ideas uh, and also like a central figure in the sexual revolution. I also think that he's a very sad figure because he lives his entire life trying to defend himself against getting hurt against that kind of love. Um, and what you find is this like continuing hedonic treadmill that he's on of just like more women, more, you know, women that have to like sign, you know, they're sort of contractually obligated to be part of his world. I mean, you know, like he's, he's a very sad cautionary tale, um, in what happens when you design your world in order to try to kind of control sexuality, um, through, I guess, like possession or whatever. Um, but, but I saw that, you know, that, 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 that at the bottom of all this is a kind of quivering heartbreak, you know, that stuff has always spoken to me. Um, and I'm very interested in the fact that this is also, you know, finding, this is also rising up at the same time that online feminism is becoming more and more vocal. So it feels like the two things are kind of acting, Call and response. In, in polar responses <laughs> to each other, yes. I, well, it, it's interesting because what I was saying very inarticulately about, you know, what what is leading what, you know, it's mob behavior. And we know people get involved with mobs. They don't even want to. But, I, you know, I don't, I think that, you know, you create 
an environment where you allow people to either like be their best selves or be their worst selves. And they're just going to, you know, chime in. Who knows if they really, really feel this hatred? Of course, most of them don't. Of course, most of them love their sisters and their mothers or whatever. But it became, it almost becomes a hysteria. I mean, I thought the, I thought the, uh, the series was really, really well done in terms of how they kind of like could take you on these waves of like hatred or fear or, you know, that kind of like club feeling when you're in a club and everything's like, gong, 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 like pounding. They, it really worked. But if I may, if I may just break out of this for one second. Well, first of all, when you say hedonic treadmill, that's going to really tie into our next story we're going to talk about. But if I may, I'm going to just tell a little Hugh Hefner story, if I may. So I lived in Hollywood for a long time. My daughter, the uh, school she went to for seventh and eighth grade was this kind of fancy school on the west side of Los Angeles. And she was in school with the Hefner boys. One was in her class, one was a year younger, and she would occasionally go over to the mansion to um, basically hang out and like go swimming, right? I mean, it wasn't like any big deal. It's like, oh, I'm going over to Marston's house, right? Okay. So one time, I was not usually part of that, like a different friend or she'd just go with whatever. But one time she went to, was driven there for a birthday party. Uh, I don't remember which kid's birthday it was, but I was picking her up. And of course, I knew where the mansion was because if you drive, you know, down Sunset Boulevard, which I did, you know, 80,000 times when I lived in LA, there's like the maps to the stars home. And oh, over here is the Playboy Mansion. In any case. So I, um, I get there and I park my car and I go up to the front door and who answers and opens the door? Oh, it's Hugh Hefter. Is he wearing a robe? Yes, he's wearing a robe. Hello. How are you? Nice to meet you. Oh, the kids are in here. He shows me and they're like, they like go through and there's like this and it's kind of like the kids are like flopping around on beadbells and this and that. Oh, but I was like, well, I can't find my daughter. He's like, oh, well, maybe she's in the playhouse. So I go and there's like this kind of, I don't remember, I remember in my brain it was octagonal. Maybe it wasn't, but I go in there and it's just like sort of this big room. The kids are hanging out on bean bags and I'm just like, my brain is screaming, don't touch the walls. <laughs> so anyway, I get her home and find, but the other part of the story is that one time she did go over there to go swimming. And she didn't have a bathing suit with her because they went right from school. And Kimberly Hefner, which was, I believe that was her name, that was his wife, who was the mother of the two boys. Um, she's like, oh, I've got something for you. And she gave her a bikini that they must have had made in multiples. Um, and she was, my daughter was in eighth grade, so she was tiny. And it's a little black bikini with the uh, the Playboy bunny on one oh. of the cups of the boob in like gold sequins. Oh, and you know I still have that. <laughs> So anyway, that's my man. An LA childhood is so different. Oh, I have a book I have not published yet of LA stories um, called uh, 40 Bucks and a Dream," and that that story is in there. So uh, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll, maybe I'll publish it here. Maybe I, I should publish publish chapters of it here. Ooh. What do you think, guys? Let me know. So oh, I like that idea. I would like yeah, to read that. Not? Why not? You know, and you're reminding me that like around 2000 and like, when, when, when was it like 2001 to like 2005, like the Playboy, you know, brand was really popular and there was that reality show on TV. And this is all like, like, like growing out of that. Um, but one of the things that really hit me in this, in this docuseries was the powerlessness of these women that would just, they would, they would just be living their lives. And then somebody around them or they themselves would just get a series of texts, like what the hell? Oh my God. And then they would go on this site and see that their photo was, was, was there. 
and they would reach out to this guy and be like, please, 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 please take it off. You know, they would beg him and he would just say no. In, in a weird way, it reminded me of almost like the cancellation stories that you hear now where like you've done one thing in your past that maybe you don't even remember, like maybe it's an old tweet or whatever. And all of a sudden there are like catastrophic consequences for this. And again, this strikes me as a story about a culture that is coming to terms with the consequences of technology and doesn't really have the laws around it to like keep the bumpers on the behavior. And so bad actors like this are able to kind of veer out of control. And the fact that he's able to to monetize it and it's it's feeding into some dark fantasy for a lot of people. I mean, this is definitely like a very key moment um in in you know a couple years later i think a lot of young women realize that they're going to have the power through through tweets and facebook posts to have to have you know to have a kind of revenge of their own if that makes sense i think that there is a real kind of lesson here. So I'm, Sarah knows an article that I'm, I'm writing right now that I'm not going to talk about yet because who knows if these things ever go. But one of the things I, I put it in it is like, you know, maybe at a certain point, like you thought it was a fun idea to like send a picture of your boobs online or put it in then it. And then maybe like later on, you're not going to be so delighted that like your boobs are floating through eternity for, 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 you know, forever. Um, but you know, again, it's also like, you know what, half the world has boobs. So there are various ways to to approach this if something like this happens to you. Be- I-, I know very well, I've, I've written about many people that have been in cancellation hell and what do I do and do I tweet and do I do that? Right? It's like, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Just leave it alone, which was uh, the initial response of the stepfather of Kayla. He's like, just leave it alone. And, and I happen to be of that mind um, because these machines, these hate machines, cancel machines, whatever you want to call them, they need fuel. And you, the the more, you know, whatever you pay attention to grows, right? So if you leave it alone, they need fuel. They're going to go on to the next, they're going to go on to the next person. Like it's inevitable or else they die, right? And and every, every organism is going to try and keep itself alive. But also reminds me of that story in one of our favorite books, which was So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. There was the chapter by, I don't remember his name, but I do remember that he was the son of Oswald Mosley, who was the head of the fascist party in England during World War II and, and who was married to one of the Mitford sisters, who if you don't know about the Mitford sisters, they're these amazing people. I'll put a link to um, to one of the, to some of their work. Um, anyway, he was their son and he was, you know, well-known in England and some photos of him came out, you know, involved in some sort of like S&M bondage with hookers or people or something. And it wound up on the cover of one of the British tabloids as British tabloids are so, so known to do. And of course it was this sort of, you know, terrible moment where everybody was sort of Oh, I don't know if everybody was sort of counseled, you know, to be ashamed and to be, to apologize and make amends. And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going to fight back or I don't, I don't remember exactly what happened, but he refused to give in to the shame that people were trying to hang on him. And he was victorious. So that's sort of, I'm not saying that, that I'm definitely not saying that, um, that Charlotte Laws should not have fought for her daughter. And I'm glad what happened to this site happened, but we also have certain choices. Like, again, if a picture of my boobs welled up on the episode, well, big in on, on the internet, big fucking whoop, you know, it's like, I, <laughs> half the world has boobs. So I'm not, I would not be hung with, shame if, if something like that happened. What, what, how would you feel? 
or have left something. It depends like that. on what the photo looks like. I mean, you know, yeah, come how, on. Yeah. How do like, I look? How do I look here? Um, <laughs> no, but you're, you know, you're reminding me of the fact that uh, back to Hugh Hefner for a moment, that the very first cover of Playboy uh, is pictures of Marilyn Monroe that he had obtained at like bargain basement prices. Uh, she had taken them private, not privately, but, you know, for a side hustle. Um, when she was very young. When she was very young. And then he bought those and put them on the cover of Playboy. Uh, and, you know, there's no, there's no like consent there. You know, she, she had posed for these photos. And uh, of course, this m- but makes both Playboy and also makes her a much bigger figure. I mean, um, there's there's some question about some of the the sex tapes that were coming out around this time too. Remember, this is also the age of those sex tapes, like Kim Kardashian. So, are you saying like 2010 or something like that? The, I feel like they they were all happening between like 2000 and 2010, <clears throat> and there was an extent to which, like, every time one of those came out, <clears throat> it was like, oh, these women are using it to um to become famous. Right. Uh, and maybe they were, and maybe they won't, they weren't. I mean, I, I don't really know to what extent Paris Hilton was, uh, complicit in the release of that sex tape. She always, um, she always claimed that it was done without her consent, but there was a very cynical public response to that, which was like, Oh yeah, whatever. Um, I, I, was she already was she already famous on her television show when that tape like when that tape was made was I don't remember when that, I don't think I, I ever saw I the tape. I think the show I think the show was going on. I think I you know what I, I it's been a while since I've looked back at at that era. I just remember going back a few years ago and looking at those stories and finding them more complicated than I did at the time. I just remember at the time there being this very cynical view of it that was like, oh yeah, you're just doing this to get famous. These are more women that want attention. <clears throat> almost like a, a resentment towards them. And when you go back and look at the tape, I mean, for instance, Paris Hilton in particular, like, yeah, she just looks completely bombed and she's really young. And it to me, it just felt like something somebody was doing for their creepy boyfriend. And then their creepy boyfriend decided to go make a buck on it. Well, I think it is the case that this kind of stuff did become a commodity. There was now a way to look at it. I mean, I, you know, there used to be like when our dads were kids, there were like stag films you watched in someone's basement. Now it's like whatever, phone, click, post. Um, I'm sure some people did do it uh, in order to increase their celebrity. I'm sure. I mean, we. one interesting thing is like, do we remember the name of the boyfriend that posted this? No, he's like, he's like a nobody. So great, right. great. We did that. I, you know, uh, it's not a commodity I would be interested in participating in, but if they were and if it worked out for them, then, you know, fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that period of time is interesting for the ways that it is both kind of victimizing certain women, but also certain women are using it as a leveraging tool for more attention and and they're complicit in this. So that that's one of the tensions that I find really interesting about that time period. Um, so as, as, as Sarah Heplin knows, I'm on a little bit of a clock this morning. So maybe we're going to, we're going to jump over to our next hedonic treadmill. 
I would first like to say that, so this was a story, it's the cover story of this week's New York Magazine. And as usual, guys, if you don't go over to our show notes, you should, because we try to be pretty comprehensive and also have some fun and, and make them visually fun. Um, this is a cover story about 10 years of Tinder. I want to give an amazingly big shout out to the author of the main story, uh, Allison P. Davis. I thought she was one of the best writers I've read in years. This story smoked. It was. It it had rhythm. It had language. It punched where it should punch. It moved you. In, I, I, I'm like a huge fan of hers now. I'd never heard of her. She's in her 30s. I I just thought she was tr- a tremendous writer. Sarah, what did you what Absolutely, did you yes, her? yes. I think one of the fun things about this story is that if you've never been, if you've never done online dating, it gives you the sort of... Uh, rush and pitfalls and and all those things it gives you the experience of doing it <clears throat> if you have been in online dating which is certainly true for me then it gives you the the so much of the recognition of what it is to be kind of caught in this revolving door um and uh you know by the way she is working on a book about uh wanting to have sex during a time when sex is dangerous, I think. Like, so probably like sex during the pandemic. And it is called Uh, Horny. As it should be. She, okay, this article was as, you know, it's interesting, Sarah and I talked about this before we are podcasting here. Like I have never, ever done any online dating. I've literally seen the app, I think twice. And it was not, maybe it was Tinder. I don't know. Uh, my daughter's husband's sister, I looked at hers once, and my friend Joanne, I looked at hers once. Like, I have no experience with this whatsoever. I don't ever foresee myself having some experience with it, but Sarah Hapla does have experience with it, and I think you've had, I think you've, it's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it it can be, as Allison P. Davis says, it can be, you know, purely for sex. You can be looking for romance. It can feel like you're on a treadmill. It can feel like a pinball machine, but you can also in some ways hack it, which I think you've done in interesting ways. Um, At least as you've expressed to me, um, you've sort of used it sometimes like I use Twitter. For instance, I'm going to Atlanta probably this weekend on a story. I might like tap down there like, hey, if anybody's in this area, I'm going to be here if you want to have a drink. Like, and it works. Like you, you meet interesting people and you, you told me you've used is it Tinder that you've used this way? I've used a lot of the apps this way. You know, I I got on Tinder in 2015, um, which was around the time it was hitting peak cultural saturation. And there was definitely like, I remember being really scared of it because there was all this like, um, oh my God, Tinder is, you know, it's it's this meat market. It's, 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 it's so, a grinder for straight people. It's a grinder for straight people. It's so creepy. And so I... I, but then at the same time, if you weren't on it, there was this sense of like, well, what are you doing? You're single and you're complaining and you're not on Tinder. Like that's where everyone is. So it was oh. like, it's terrible, but you have to do it. So it was like, okay, so you plug your nose and you jump <laughs> into spinach. the <laughs> jump into the miserable pit that is Tinder. And and in the beginning, I did have a lot of like an allergic reaction to the way that everybody was selling themselves. You know, I mean, this is one of the things that strikes you about as it's just sort of like a sad reality of the online dating marketplace is that there is this this kind of like 
personal branding that everyone has to participate in. And it's a little bit cringy in the beginning. And and when I first went on Tinder, like I did get this sense of like, oh my God, this is so shallow. And, um, you know, I would, you know, I'd get these text messages at like two in the morning that were like, what up? And I'd be like, what up is that I am asleep right now. Sleeping. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not up. Um, but as I stayed on this app, one of the things I found was that, you know, you really, you can use it in any way that you want, you know, I mean, like you don't have to be subject to this, uh, this kind of like, uh, like you don't have to play this game, you know? So, so one of the things that I think Tinder taught me was very good boundaries. I think that it taught me how to say no to things I didn't like and how to avoid things that I didn't want anything to do with. You know, like in other words, I I really didn't have many dating skills because I had grown up in an era when it was sort of like you just meet people that you're going to date from being in the bar or something like that. Exactly. You meet them in a bar or maybe at work or something. I don't know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, it felt like dating just sort of happened. Like you just sort of tripped into it. And this was the first time that I was having to like date intentionally. And so I started using this. um, Over the years, I would find that it was it was a really good way for me to develop the muscles of of more clear interaction with people. And as I was, I was traveling a lot during this time. And so one of the things I would do was kind of like, be in cities and I would hop on there and, you know, get recommendations about where to go or find people that might like to go do, you know, activities. Like I was in Iceland and I met this guy and he took me on this really great hike. And and none of these things were, were sexual in nature. I mean, very early on, there was a sort of you know, like this is, this is not that kind of interaction. And I felt like when I was clear about that, um, it it was okay. I ne- I never had any problems with that. It's interesting because you know, you met these people, they're human beings. Sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't. If you're if you're meeting someone with the specific idea of either A sex or B romance, you are like completely preloading the the expectations. All of it. If you're just meeting someone for a hike like who cares? As long as they can like keep up on the hike and show you something interesting, you're probably going to have an interesting conversation or, or not or whatever. You have a nice hike, right? You're not, your expectations are not, and you can say all you want that you have no particular expectations when you engineer what you want and you've engineered yourself to be like what you think other people will want that you will want. But you ha- you have simply by dint of doing that. And I thought what she showed uh, so well in the article was, you know, when she expected romance and all these things didn't happen, of course, your heart would get broken sometimes and you couldn't even help it. Like you thought it really went well. And then the guy didn't like, he didn't ask you on another date or something. Of course you hurt. So it's like, no, fuck it. I'm not doing this anymore. I am just going to completely be about the sex and I'm going to make that work because I am that kind of person and I don't care, which hi, you're not a robot, but okay, you can try it. Give it a shot. And she does. And then she has a guy come over and it's just going to be that. And they screw on her couch and he breaks down crying. He's crying because he's just had like a really 
he's just had a really bad breakup and he's a human being. He's, and I'm, you know, maybe it's not the sexiest thing in the world. Some dude you've invited over to drink bourbon is now crying on your couch, but it also is a very human moment. And she's just like, no, fuck this. I don't want the human moments. I only wanted sex. But of course, three months later, it's like, yes, I do want the human moments. And she really does get caught in what feels like, and she's completely frank about it in what feels like some sort of like pinball game yeah. or video game yeah. where it's like, oh, maybe I'm going to score, you know, a higher score now or not. And now I hate it and I hate doing all this. And I'm going to delete it. And then I'm going to go back. And she's so frank about this. She's like, has Tinder or whatever equivalent you want to use, has it ruined me? Like, has it ruined my chances of actually finding love? Like, just like your old school thing. Like, yeah, we met people in a bar, but you know why you met that guy in a bar? Because you had a freaking chemistry with him and you were interested in it. And maybe it was nothing like what you thought you might have wanted. Just like she kind of says at the end, she's like hanging out with some friends and there's like this dweeby guy that she never like gave two cents or two thoughts to. And all of a sudden she's like, oh my God, I've got chemistry with this dude. And like, what have I been thinking we were going to do better? We were going to do love better via these things. I don't know. I, it doesn't sound that, that way to me. Right. I mean, and so, so when you say that I've hacked Tinder, one of the things that I've learned to do is to use Tinder for purposes other than finding long-term relationships. Right. <clears throat> I think when I went to that, that site looking for certain and like expectations, and by the way, I did meet a really cool guy. I met two really cool guys. I've met several really cool guys on Tinder, but I had two kind of relationships on Tinder. But what I found with both of them was that I was dating them and they were dating like six people, you know, mm. because the opportunity for them to date multiple people was so vast. But wait a second. So I also read that like 75% of people on a Tinder are male. Yes. So is it the case, is it the case that the opportunities for men are so vast? Well, they're just, they're actually more vast for women, but maybe women aren't interested in dating six people at the same time. Well, I think you're exactly right. And I also think like 10% of the men on Tinder are having 90% of the sex. I mean, that's just a completely, that's a, 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 something that I'm throwing out there. I've never seen anybody confirm this, but it's just like, there is a certain high status guy. Like I tend to be drawn to like, like, in intellectual, emotionally, uh, like high IQ, highly verbal, attractive, successful, you know, like <laughs> these are the guys that are going talk, to be like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, these are the guys that have dates for miles and they yeah. want to capitalize on that and not capitalizing on it might feel like shutting a door on something. Whereas I don't want that. You know, I don't want to be dating six people. At, at, at some point, I did actually change my tune. And I started dating like six people at once. And, and it was it was sort of fun. But it was also not me. It reminds um, me of this thing I heard years ago, like with the channel changer, like if you've got a maid, a spouse, a husband, wife, or whatever, and it's like women want to watch what's on TV and men want to see what else is on TV. Oh, that's really interesting. I was like, finally, like, oh, let's watch this. It has to be back. Click, 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 click. I'm like, I, but I liked that show. Why do I need to see all the other shows? Anyway. Yes, yes. It also reminds me of, of some stat I had come across where it was like men regret sex they don't have and women right. regret sex they actually right. do have. Right. They, they regret the opportunities that yeah. Yes. Yes. 
So anyway, I mean, you know, when I say that I've been successful on Tinder, it's it's like I found a way to take this technology that felt like it was completely against me. Like I hated being on this app in the beginning and I found a way to use it for sort of interesting life experiences that made me feel more connected. And I met really interesting people. But when I went on there looking for a relationship, it was almost purely doomed to fail. And, um, you know, one of the, the part things that happens is that you keep going on these sites, um, telling yourself that you're, you're, you're putting your expectations in a box, but it, and, and it works to a certain extent. Right. Um, but it doesn't, address the central core longing, which is that you're a single person that uh, basically has found a way to make it easier to be single in the world. Um, there was there was a part towards the end that I wanted to read that I found really poignant and and it's it speaks to the ways we you know we want something but then we continue to do something different. So um, Subject after subject reported that they were on Tinder to find someone to love and to love them back and to find love in the most traditional of terms, something that took work, a container in which sex was sacred and where intimacy built over time. They acknowledged that their encounters on Tinder didn't offer that, yet they went to Tinder to find it. The contradiction was confusing. They wanted sex to be meaningful, but felt that Tinder removed the sacredness. They wanted bonds to be lasting but acknowledged they were easily broken. To make sense of the contradictions that disturbed them, the subjects insisted upon a bifurcation of the self. There was the person who was seeking love and the person who was on Tinder. To protect the part of ourselves that feels enough hope to keep us on Tinder forever, we've split in two. It, it, it reminds me of uh, like someone who, you know, does coke for the first time and or whatever it just seems like it's going to be possible all these great and then it's not and you just keep going back you keep going back for that's actually not a very good analogy but (laughs) no i mean certainly there's a dopamine hit involved here i think there is an extent to which people are using this as a way to feed their 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 sense of their own desirability i mean this is one of the the greatest dopamine hits you can get is just this feeling that you're desired and so there's a lot of people that go on there just to see like um who can i get i mean to the extent to which they're those those apps um and there's something so i mean so when we're talking about tinder i think we're also talking about bumble and we're also talking about hinge which are all different what we call swipe to match apps where you're basically um you know using your iphone or your your smartphone and 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 in some sort of efficient way matching with a variety of people that you get to interact with and they've streamlined this process that in in on previous sites like like match or like okcupid they could be much more time consuming but anyway people can use them almost like it's just like a candy crush saga or something like you can just do that i know a lot of people that just match and match when they're in line at a store or something just to see who you can get um and there are also people that are in relationships that go on this to remind themselves of their own desirability. But is it, you know, I've read, and it's true, it's like, it, it's always not better, but more, 
captivating and takes you away to be lo- to love than it is to be loved. And let me let me try to explain what I mean by this. So I was talking uh, with someone the other day about the definition of wonderful, right? What is what does wonderful mean, right? Well, it fills you with wonder, right? So if you find somebody wonderful, it's because they fill you with wonder. Like you want to know more. Like you you do. And when you it seems to me, and again, I haven't been on these sites, but when you when you you kind of strip down what you think you want, like whether it's in a guy, like you put what you want, or who you are, you're like, here is what I am. You're kind of, you're axiomatically, yes, I said it, ding, 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 um, ding. stripping away the wonder. And you're, you're, I'm not saying that you won't find mystery uh, with these, these, the way you match with someone, but in a sense, you have made sure that you're not walking into the mystery. And that's, I think, where you continually find love with someone, whether it's like you've heard it a million times and I've experienced it myself, this like love at first sight. Well, that shit certainly wasn't pre-engineered, but it happens. Well, why does it happen? Is it is it your DNA singing to another person's? I, I believe that happens when we when we feel like we need to procreate with someone. It's, it, it's happened to me. Um, there is... There are things we can't see, and I think that's what love is in many ways. Now, it does not mean you can't build love. Of course you can. Of course you can find love on these things. But when you've when you've tried to pre-engineer what this is going to be, it's already, to me, I can see how it can seem captivating. The possibility is captivating, but it also seems like you've pre-deflated it almost in a sense. And yet you will go back because you think, well, maybe, I mean, she was talking about how she kept redoing her profile. Like, I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to make myself more, I'm going to make myself desirable to different people. I'm going to accentuate this other thing. And in, in the New York Magazine piece, they've got, I didn't really look at it too closely, but they had like 10 years of people's profile pictures. Like the, they took this like one person and and she had like the 10 each year, how she like changed herself and who it was going to attract. I think this is all very interesting. And I could understand being a person that did this, but it also is, it really seems like when you say hedonic treadmill or just a treadmill and, and does it ever get you where, where you want to go? Yeah. I mean, there was an interesting, uh, sidebar that had, you know, um, kind of stats and figures about, about this. They had interviewed 1,200 people. 100 of them had gotten married from an app. So that's Out of how many? Of 1,200. So it's like a little less that's than good. 10%. Oh, that's, pretty good. that's pretty good. I mean, I think yeah. that's pretty good. Um, but I, I, I think... If marriage is your goal. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, one of the things that this... that that these apps have done over the past 10 years is explode possibility. I mean, I think there's a reason why you've seen a rise in the ethical non-monogamy movement. You've seen a rise in kink and fetish because that, that has opportunity and access through these apps. You know, I, I, I just, I don't think that people were able to find that kind of, that kind of connection as, as well before. Um, I, unfortunately, as I told you, I'm on a clock today. So a couple Uh-oh. of things, a couple of things. Number one, 
Sarah, what's in your hot box? Oh my goodness. Let me check my hot box for a second. <laughs> um, you know I what love- I've been watching that I found very interesting? It's another docuseries. Uh, it's called The Last Movie Stars, and it's about Paul Newman oh. and Joanne Woodward. Oh my God, that's exactly what I wanted, wanted Wait. to watch next. Oh, I you want to watch it next? Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. No, I want to, I'm going to watch it and then we'll, we'll talk about it on the next episode. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I want to see Okay. That. Well, then I won't say much yeah. about it except that I didn't, I just really didn't know that much about Joanne Woodward. And so that she's been a whole revelation to me. And then finding out more about Paul Newman's early, uh, early career has been very interesting. And, you know, uh, so this, this is a, a documentary that was done by Ethan Hawke and um, it's about this you know, fabled movie star couple and the the beauty of their relationship, but also like a lot of the complications and darker sides. Yes, I definitely want to see that. Um, so a couple of episodes, I think I mentioned that I'd gone to Cooperstown uh, to the Baseball Hall and fame, of Fame induction uh, about a week and a half ago uh, with Matt Welch. And Matt, who has been, a he grew up uh, in, outside of Long Beach in Lakewood. He's he, baseball country. Plenty of major league players come from there. His whole world was baseball, baseball, baseball. And he loves it. And we've been hanging out. And uh, so he's gotten me kind of really interested in baseball. First of all, the the uh, ceremony was so moving uh, for so many reasons and I, that we can go into another time. But in my hot box this week is a book called The Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski. And he takes who, who he thinks are like the 100 top players in baseball from like way back before the you know, well, major leagues, the Negro leagues, and he rates them. But he writes, he doesn't rate that, he writes these sort of like nanobiographies, like three to eight pages. He's an unbelievable writer. It is so much fun. And it's just for me, I mean, I love history in general and to just sort of like plop into this world, I'm really enjoying it. So I, if there's any baseball heads out there and, and I did ask, thank you so much for your, um, for your baseball book recommendations. I love them. I also got the boys of summer. And so I'm going to start a little, uh, a little baseball odyssey here. Um, first, uh, also my second question, Sarah, Sarah, what's my second oh, question? Oh God. What is it? What's the name of this podcast? The name of this podcast is Smoke 'em if you got 'em. Um, do we have any do we have any housekeeping for our for our listeners that we we should go over besides telling you uh please rate and uh, rate us on Apple Podcast and subscribe and tell your friends too and if you want to get a paid subscription we'll love you even more. Um I think we've got a another episode we're going to come we're going to do pretty soon that might be behind a paywall. Uh, we'll see. We've got to read the book first. We're not going to tell you what the book is. Um, and we also had a, a listener who wrote in and said, "How do you how do you cross up so much time to consume all this media that you talk about?" And my answer was, "We're greedy. Um, <laughs> I'm greedy for other people's experience. We do we do what we do for a living. We talk to other people, and we we are constantly swapping texts and and direct messages with people who are telling us about interesting things, and we're just interested. And so, you know, um, my first column as a as a writer was with Buzz Magazine, long gone in LA City Magazine. I was a nightlife columnist, and and I realized that people didn't necessarily want to go. They just wanted to know. So it doesn't mean everybody that has to listen or or, or watch or read what we're talking about, but maybe just want to know about it. I do that with plenty of people. Absolutely. So, so it's just fun things that we're finding in the culture. We love having your recommendations. And uh, we actually did get, get a recommendation yesterday for a TV thing. I got to go find it and I'll, I'm going to let you know. So Somebody th- said that we should watch the first lady on Hulu That's it. and I That's don't it. have Showtime. So Hulu, 
Uh, Hulu, well, it's okay. on. Like she said, it was on Hulu, but it's actually on. Like uh, you have to have a Showtime ad. Mm. Mm. Well, we'll have to. Yeah, that. I was disappointed by that because that's the show with Viola da- Davis playing um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Which I mean, not Michelle. I'm sorry, like, Michelle Viola Obama and Michelle Pfeiffer is also in this show. <laughs> That would be a wild show. Viola Davis playing Michelle Pfeiffer is going to blow my mind. Um, Okay, everyone. Sorry, this is a little bit of a shorty. Uh, Girl has needs. Um, Sarah, I'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Like walking in the rain and the snow when there's nowhere to go when you're feeling like a part of you is dying and you're looking for the answer in her eyes you think you're gonna break up then she says she wants to make up